live streaming on Sportsnet's YouTube channel. Real Kipper and Bourne, Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne. If you were one of 18,000 fans at Scotiabank Arena last night, oh. expecting to see a contending Stanley Cup team like the Toronto Maple Leafs shellac the Buffalo Sabres, well, then it was because you listened to Justin Bourne yesterday on our show. <laughs> Not me. You and Sammy were the ones. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are bigging him up. I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> I didn't want you to feel bad. Oh, man, that was. What did you have yesterday when we left the I, I show? Eight, over, one? I, I did not. I did have Marner over a point and a half. You can d- return defective products. You should be able to return that ticket. They, well, they owe fans some money. It's not good. Yeesh. Oh, this, uh, I'm reading some t- uh, some tweets. This one from Phil. Well, Real Kipper and JT Bourne, the Leafs must have listened to your glowing prediction for tonight. <laughs> I knew it the second, the second Sammy was like, they are going to, boys, they are going to, you know, like whispering to us, they are going to dummy this team tonight. You know, it was like, ah, oh, it's over. Just Everybody that was a total tee up for padding your stats. Yeah. That was full cookie monster night. You know what it was? It was McKee mailing in his job because he knew he wouldn't be here to answer for it today. That's what it was yesterday. McKee was like, I'll just say whatever and get out the door. That's right. Sammy's gone. Show Ali is producing today. Our super fan Sammy is on an assignment. That includes golf, I think, till Tuesday or next Wednesday. He literally just tweeted at you and I as the show started from the golf course. So we can't even lie that he's doing things for the show. He's already on the golf course? <laughs> yes, he must, he must have landed the plane pisses, on the fairway. That pisses me off. I'm also displeased. And even if he wasn't on vacation, I'm not sure he would come in after last night's game. No, he was embarrassed last night. He, was, he, was, he really took that one hard. But you know what? I think a lot of Leafs fans did and should. It's not like this is like a, a one-off. I mean, they just got beat by the Canadians 5-2. They gave up a touchdown to the Red Wings. I know they won. But there, you know, there's some moments here where you, what's, what's going on. Okay. And usually I, I'm blunt. I just say what, you, what we saw. But I really want to start the show off on a positive they aren't that bad. Okay. They aren't that bad. No, they are not. No, no one is. Good thing or you're like the, I don't know, Atlanta Thrashers expansion year. And Buffalo still sucks. They still suck. Nothing is, nothing is new today that wasn't the same yesterday. Bad speaking. Nothing is new. Nothing. Nothing. No, I agree. Um, I don't think we learned a whole lot. You know, things that we thought we knew are still true, like competitiveness maybe being an issue. Some, I, I don't know. I just don't think we learned a whole ton. Should we start to pick through this mess and see if there's anything to hang on to? Yes. Yeah, we should. Um, and probably our best bet is just to do what we've done all season long and let Sheldon Keefe go first. Yeah, you, Sheldon, you <laughs> frame it for us. Go ahead. Team's been playing well. I uh, got every reason to believe that team's ready to play today. You know, fans are back. Back home, should have confidence in the way that we've played here of late. 
but offensively, in terms of how we played with the puck, we were really careless and, and just didn't have much happening offensively. We made one big play that led to a goal, but um, just offensively, we were abysmal tonight, all four lines. Abysmal. Today's word is <laughs> abysmal, abysmal tonight, all four lines. Abysmal. That's a good word. It is. Yeah. They were abysmal. So I that was my big takeaway from last night's game. That was the most toothless I've ever seen the Toronto Maple Leafs offense. You, you know, he mentioned all four lines. Go through it as a group. There was nothing there. Last night through, so it's 53 games they played so far this season. Last night was their second lowest total of scoring chances in the game. In the whole season, last night was the second lowest against the Buffalo Sabres, who, by the way, had the 29th ranked defense in the league. Abysmal. At home with fans in the building. Like, that's the worst performance of the, of the season by miles for me. It was their second worst expected goals total, any sort of stat. They didn't create Jack. Can't even say because we're on YouTube. See, I was at the game last night. You were? I did. Oh. Yeah, I was in the alumni box. Uh, I passed people. I didn't step on their toes. Wow, you're nimble, unlike me. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. People are still asking, where's Justin Bourne? uh, I think he's been banned from the alumni box because he stepped on uh, somebody's feet. Listen, way to this, uh, on, on I know we've talked about it on the show before, but like I crushed some lady's <laughs> toes, and I apologize if you're out there. Okay, we've got that out of the way. Just listening to Sheldon Keefe's comments, I would not have gone post-game on offense. Oh, that was the worst part of the game. No, I think their defense was the worst part of the game. <laughs> well, I mean... It is. You know, it wasn't good either way. But I think... It just reiterates how this team thinks mm-hmm. all offense. And I all, thinking I all offense I, and creating none. I, I, I don't I don't think I, I, that's not their problem. Their problem is defending. Mm-hmm. And that's what I got out of it. I wish he wouldn't have mentioned offense. Why wouldn't he said we're fine on offense? What we don't know what to do is how to defend. You know why I think because every other coach, no one talks about offense. Everyone's just like, yeah, I don't know. We let the players deal with that. And they only look at defense. So it's refreshing to hear someone who actually cares about the offensive side of things. But you're right. And, uh, you know, generally it is not the issue. Would, they create a ton. I, they do. And yeah. they always will. They're that talented. Yeah. But I would hope that you would want the philosophy as guys, I, I even as Carry a zero zero score to the end of the game. I don't care, but we're not giving up this many chances. Mm-hmm. Like he's gotta shut it down, Justin. He's gotta tell guys that you don't get to cheat. The offense on most nights is there because of world class talent. But there's also some nights when the world-class talent doesn't surface. Mm -hmm. And then you go to cheating. And that's what I saw last night. I saw just a bunch of guys cheating to try to maintain that level that they're accustomed to having. Yeah, it felt to me like a team that was going into a situation which was like, you know, you and Sammy before the show yesterday saying it's going to be a walk. Because it should have been a walk, right? They're like, oh, it's Buffalo. They, 
They can't stop anything. Oh, we're at home. The fans are back. We have every advantage. We're playing well. We scored 10 on Detroit. Like, they had every reason to think it was going to be an easy night, and they played like that. But the bigger problem on the defensive side of things was the was something that we have wanted them to do, which is experiment and give guys looks in different positions. But that, you know, the the Riley-Sandine pairing and, and, well, the D in general, they're just it, – it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. So – you know, we, we have one more quote from Sheldon. Let's have him talk about what he saw as the problem beyond the offense, and then we'll dig a bit deeper in. Montreal was no attention to detail and wide man rushes and breakaways and two-on-ones and all that. That's not what was going on in the game today. Uh, it was just no, no real urgency, no real competitiveness. Uh, so I, it, it's different today, so... I look at it entirely differently. This is more of a reflection on our competitiveness as a team, uh, individually, collectively. A reflection on our competitiveness. Mm -hmm. Gee, where have I heard that before? Cue Derek. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe. I just thought we got exposed today for being a team that was just soft, soft and purposeless and just kind of playing the game. Aha. That is familiar. Nice job, Derek. (laughs) Nice pickup. Nice save. I do think that uh, he learned something from that press conference and knows he can't say soft and purposeless. So framing it as competitiveness was a nice way to say the exact same problem in different verbiage. exact same thing. Yeah, he can't say the same words, but as he said soft the same thing. as purposeless. Yeah, is questioning your team's competitiveness. That yeah. is a big concern. It is. Let me ask you this: Is there any chance this is like it's a eighty-two game season? It's a little congested. The schedule. They play a ton of games in March, and they've been playing more in February. Can you ever just look at a game like this and say, "Got to be tired at some point"? You're not going to be great every time. Yeah. Excuse one away. Yes, but that's if you've shown different levels of competitiveness over the course. Right. If there are highs and lows and not just lows. You you mm. are a one-dimensional team when it comes to competitiveness, and that is your ability to put a puck in the net. They are competitive at scoring. No doubt about it. But when that kind of dries up a little bit, there's other ways, and we're not going to have the same discussion we've had no. yesterday or earlier in the year and question you know, how tough this team is, but that's one way to show your competitiveness. Yeah. And I'd they, fight my mom to win another Stanley Cup. <laughs> there you go. We didn't see anybody fighting their mom last night. No. Or the I'm, Buffalo Sabres. You know, we've established positions on this show. Like, we, uh, we're we not a goalie show. We are for guests. But, like, we're generally, we're pretty hard on goaltenders. I'm just going to dig in and be like, I can't handle watching Pierre Engvall play. I'm just, I'm tired <laughs> of pretending it's any other way. I just, Like, you know, he was in it with some guy last night in a moment where they're down and losing to a bad team. And, like, you're huge. You're a bottom six guy. Like, this is your... The, Get mad, throw a punch. Can can someone leave the ice with a 10-minute misconduct or game misconduct? Or elevated blood pressure? Is that against the rules now? Can you be a sore loser? Can somebody show that 
it's just unacceptable to fade just give me into Sam the sunset. <laughs> Running, what was his name there? Uh, one of the kid in Columbus. Anyway, Sillinger, I think. Sillinger, cool. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I'm so, I'm really frustrated. So I love, but to know, answer I like your this question, team. I think more than most people in the to, construction, but that frustrates. To me. answer your question, yes, there are times in the season, and let's go just to John Tavares mm-hmm. for a second because he come, he came off a game where he was impactful against the Washington Capitals. Yep. We saw him get thrown by Tom Wilson down. We saw what is his best version of being pissed off on the bench mm-hmm. and then coming out and making a great play. But that takes a lot of energy yeah. out of Tavares. And clearly coming back home, he did not have the energy. I believe that he did make a, a post-game comment talking about well, we just didn't have our legs, which probably meant he didn't have his legs. Yeah, and you know how that feels. When they're not there and they're just, it's just like you're swinging around two dead hams, it's tough to be impactful. It is. And we have talked about his high IQ, and he can make plays. And they're just not coming as often but how long do you wait before where you can think maybe he's under the weather, there's a, a flu bug still going around the team? Yeah, I liked your idea of giving him a game. Right. Um, and and now thinking that it, there's a bigger issue. And I, I don't know. I, I'm going to probably have to see a, a, a longer funk. But at some point, we may have to talk about just – Foot speed of John Tavares being an issue. Quickness and foot speed in the second hole right now because he is not looking like a second-line centerman on a, on a cup-contending team. It would be you, interesting. You want, to throw, you want to throw Tavares in the first or second hole center ice slot with Seattle, you know, Columbus? Yeah, I get that. On a cup-contending team right now, if this thing goes much longer, you're going to start thinking, what are my options here? Did you notice rest giving you much more in the tank? Like if you got a little bit of time off towards the end of your career, like I wonder for Tavares of going to playoffs, you say, we're going to get him a full week, you know, leading up to the postseason just to make sure he's got yeah. that pop to make sure he's as good yeah. as he can be. Yeah, I, I, I think it's an energy thing for sure. Yeah, And if he's not absolutely on all pumping on all cylinders, it's a factor. I, there's a lot of times I'm watching John Tavares during the regular season. He's the first four checker. Yeah. And he's well, he in works deep. Hard. And he, he ends up a lot down low, below the hash marks. We know his work in front of the net. Mm-hmm. And we know uh, what he can do behind the net. We saw it against Washington. But there are times when it the, the play dies, and he's now got to come 200 feet back into his own zone. Yeah. He's... He's not a he's not a natural uh, fluent skater. No, and he never has been, and so, so it's you just wondered, more labor for him. But would he, you know? I had wondered would he age like someone like you know Yager or Thornton, who are Hall of Fame guys with IQ and hands and vision, like Tavares, who played great late in their careers because they they were smart enough with the hands and IQ and vision that they could still create, or would losing a half step for him just bury him? The game's gotten quicker, though. Uh, the game is getting very, very like, fast. Uh, the, 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 the speed of the game has moved like like technology has right. uh, on a computer. 
and what you can do with apps these days. That's I mean, it, it is it is probably another what five seven percent faster than it was five seven yeah. ten years ago. Guys get off the tre- the metaphorical treadmill, they retire and look back at the game. And they're just like, thank God, I don't have to go back in there. Like the pace is out of this world. So think think about the pace. Like Tavares, I mean, uh, Matthews creates. Like, again, I'm watching him last night, mm-hmm. and they didn't have a great game. But, God, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay for him and Marner not to have a great game. Even though, I mean, they still scored the first goal. Beautiful goal. A little give and go. Marner and Bunting. It was. Sandine on the back. But there are some nights when it's not. But there is a drop-off of pace of play and quickness and agility from Matthews to Tavares. It is a significant it drop in, in, in just pace. Yeah. The contrast is not helping our eyeball test. When we watch John watching Tavares, watching uh, Matthews move around. When he follows Tavares, there yeah. is a significant drop off. There is for sure. Um, the D pairs were different last night and the goaltending was different. Well, back to back for Peter Morazic, which one caught your eye? Uh, as a priority. Well, this is this is kind of bringing it back to my original thought about Sheldon Keefe speaking of the offense and I'm watching I'm watching Morgan Riley and Sandine together. And why are we worried about more offense? Why are we putting them together? Was, I was wanted it, to it see, a, I was think. Was it a set was, was it set when we did our show yesterday? That they were going to be together? Uh, I think so. I I just, I would never have thought, if I really thought about it. I mean, Lilligard played there the night before, just, so Sandine, it felt like, yeah, that makes sense. I've got two guys that want to jump up on the rush. Yeah. They're, Why do, like, who's going to mind the, the, the store? They are similar style players for sure. It was, I'm watching Sandine yesterday. And I get it. He's got some strut right now. He scored the big goal in Washington. He gets the goal last night. Now he wants to... I'm not sure if he made another good play all night after scoring. He wants to Bobby Orr at the the rest of the night. Yeah. I don't get it. Why put them together? When when I did television for Sportsnet, I'd work with uh, Dennis Podvan, Mm -hmm. Denny Podvan. Yeah. And... uh, he told me this great story where they were uh, with Team Canada uh, early, and he's with Bobby Orr, and they're playing an exhibition game, and they ended up on a two-on-zero breakaway. The two of them. The two of them. That's bizarre, right? <laughs> they come back to the bench, and I think I, I think he mentioned it was Scotty Bowman that said. Yeah, you guys are done. You're never playing again together. I don't want my two defensemen going on a 2-0 and breakaway. No. no, he... Split them up. And broke them up. Yep. Well, I mean. And that's, uh, that's what I, I'm thinking right. with Sandine and, and uh, Morgan Riley. It's well, like that's why Brody's Morgan, been so good because he will for Morgan. He'll Morgan, be back there. If, if Morgan's my best skating defenseman and the guy that's soon to be making $7.5 million, dollars mm-hmm. I need a stay-at-home guy for him. I don't need Sandine jumping up on the play. But don't you like them giving it a look and being like, I don't know, maybe this will magically surprise us and they'll be awesome? No. Not even I worth don't, it. it. It just makes no sense. I guess in and the logic would night. be that maybe they connect on a level. They got some Sedine mind-meld offensive abilities or something. 
you know, I, I could see I could see them moving the puck very well, but God, like Sandine so, missing the straight up pass off the neutral zone face off, like they couldn't even make basic plays by the end of the game. If we go back to the Olison goal, okay, it, yeah. it starts with a, a a rim around the boards, goes mm-hmm. back to the point on Buffalo. Yep. And you can see Morgan Riley thinking that he's going to bring the puck right back down the wall. Mm-hmm. He actually starts skating towards the wall. That is, uh, like, it's, like, it's a bit of a cheat. No, no, not a bit. Yeah. A huge cheat. But the puck does not go down the wall. So Morgan's out by the wall. Mm-hmm. The puck comes back to the middle. And there's Sandine on a two-on-o or a two-on-one now trying to defend. Yep. It's a bit of a broken play. Sandine actually finds the puck on his stick and thinks now he's going to stick handle and skate it out of trouble. I know. Smack that over to the yellow paint. Split second later, (laughs) 2-1. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the first one, which is not too different, except he doesn't have a chance to clear it on the first one. But, you know, he he again gets kind of isolated in a little bit of a two-on-one and... You know, he, he it's not that he's getting out muscled necessarily. He's just finding himself on the wrong side of these D battles somehow. Um, I don't know if it's positional or whatever, but I thought Camp was a little bit to blame on the first one too, but it was Sandine on the first one, Sandine on the second one. He misses the pass on the Skinner goal. You know, there were some tough moments for a guy that I think a lot of us were excited to see get more minutes. Maybe you weren't, but I, I thought it would be good for him. Either way, it brings me back to a conversation we've had in the show many times, which is, I love Sandine. I truly think he's an awesome player. And I know you said the same thing. You can't trade him now. Like, you don't know what his ceiling is, and it could be very high. Um, but, like, can that be your third pair in the playoffs? Can you have Sandine and Lilligren? No. And, you know, guys. No. Yeah. You I can't. mean, guys who don't defend as a priority on your third pair. Yeah. Like, you don't need goals from your back end. So, what are they going to do in the playoffs this year? Not what yeah. are they going to do in their careers, but yeah. this year it's tough to see a fit for me. By the way, and, I want Sandine on, on in the Leafs six come playoffs. I do. I just don't but, think you but, can have two guys like but that. Teach, or, you got to teach them defense, JB. You can't just give them a, a green light. You just mentioned that, uh, was it the Skinner goal? Yeah. The D to D? Yeah. He's already skating with the puck Already he gets gone it. up. I know. Already skating up. It's like the the left fielder who thinks he's already throwing the ball when he hasn't even caught it yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, good, that, that's a great that, comparison. It turns into a an error. Like, whoops, I dropped it. Yeah, yeah, it turns into a whoops, I dropped it. And okay, Morgan, give him a, give him a better pass than that, please. It wasn't that bad. It was pretty good. I mean, but, well, I know what you mean. Colossal, lead, lead him a bit. Colossal mistakes. Yeah, but that's now. I, I look at Sheldon Keefe and I go, "Come on, like, have some hard rules here." On these guys. Well, did you hear okay. his thoughts on that D pair? Hey, Sheldon, uh, are you going to play that pair again? Can we Do play we, that clip? Yeah, let's play that clip on his. Do you feel like going back to the Sandine Riley pairing, giving it another try? Since... Probably not. <laughs> yeah, that's a no. <laughs> and even in the clip, he like almost did a double take. Like, were you uh, there tonight? Like, no. Straight face? Yeah, no, a straight face, but he like gave a quick look back. Like, did, what? Why am I answering this? Never again. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't work. Well, I, we'll pick up this conversation uh, with EJ Raddick uh, 
Let's bring him in, senior NHL uh, reporter and host of NHL Now. EJ, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm good. Thanks for having me. And I, I, I don't mean to derail you, but I just wanted to start by giving my uh, sending my condolences a little bit late to Justin and his whole family on the loss of uh, your father-in-law, Clark Gillies, who was a terrific, terrific person and someone I got to know a little bit over the years and uh, watched them. As a kid, they were my guys, and I was really heartbroken at that news, so I wanted to pass along my condolences to you and your whole family. Yeah, so, thanks, uh, EJ. Appreciate that. He was, uh, I know he's a big part of the uh, the community out there, so it means a lot to me. Thanks. And awesome, you, awesome. And, what a wonderful person. And, EJ, you speak of a, of a team in an era where these guys were tight as any team in the history of the game, truly cared for each other. And at times yep. we've we've talked about this era and – Maybe it's just uh, the the lack of um, physicality that probably makes it look like sometimes teams aren't interested in watching each other's backs or sticking together. I mean, you've watched the game over uh, a few uh, eras. Uh, where do you see it today? Because we have talked a little bit about the Leafs and sometimes watching a Morgan Riley get run or John Tavares, and we're not seeing that same response that you would have seen with Clark Gillies and the New York Islanders in their heyday. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right, Nick. And you played in an, in, in an era where there was still, that was still a big part of things. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the world has changed. The game has changed. Guys come and go, right? Uh, you know, there's usually a core group of, of seven or eight or nine guys, and then guys kind of come and go. That Islanders team, those guys were together for a long period of time and as a group. And uh, I remember Al Arbor saying, you know, my job, you know, they don't play for me. They play for each other. And, and I always took that with me. And I think that is a real big part to this day of hockey. If you can get that in your room, I mean, that's, that's critical, but guys make a lot more money. Now the situations are different. Uh, it's much more of a business seemingly. And, uh, you know, it is, uh, it's a different world. So it's a challenge. I mean, I went to the outdoor game with Nashville and, uh, and, and Tampa the other night. And, you know, Nashville was in an outdoor game in, on January 1st, 2020. So I'm going through and seeing how many guys played in that game. And there was like seven or eight. And there was the, mm-hmm. Soros was the backup goalie then. So, you know, it changed that much for one team in, you know, two years. So I think that's part of it too, Nick, is that, you know, there's so many interchangeable guys and guys come and go. And even within rosters, guys go up and down and the cap is such an issue and it's such a business now. So it's changed that dramatically. And I think the teams that are good, I mean, the, the coaches that are good, I mean, you heard Marty Saint-Louis the other day, there are, you know, there's some non-negotiables and, you know, the, you got to have that accountability. You got to have that unity within your group and you got to stand up for one another because the game's, they're still rough games, and guys still get dinged up. It's not as nasty as it maybe once was, but it's fast and it's hard, and guys have to play for one another. Do you think that could be an advantage for the Leafs that they have had continuity at their core at least? There, you know, There's been turnover around it, but even though the continuity comes from failing, um, you know, I think a lot of people believe you fail, you fail, you fail, and you try to find your way through and figure it out as a group. Could it be an advantage that they do still have the main pieces together? Well, I mean, you, you get, you know, you get pissed off that you lose over and over. And it in gets theory. to a point in time when it, you know, you, 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 you get to a point in time, right? When you're like, we're just going to do whatever we have to do to win. 
And I saw it with those Islanders teams way back when. Losses, a tough loss to Toronto in a seven-game series, losses to Montreal, loss of bad loss to the Rangers, and they made some adjustments to their roster, and, you know, it seemed like they were a different group. And we've seen that over years. Look at Tampa much more recently, right? I mean, they had a heartbreaking four that swept by Columbus, made some op- changes to their roster. They're a harder group, and, you know, they, they find ways. So, you know, I, I know that up there in Toronto there's probably a lot of – there's always a lot of discussion. And even down on our show, we talk about the Leafs a lot. They're an interesting team. I still think there's 30-odd games, 20-something-odd games left. I think you got to get Moratic games just because it was never the plan to play Campbell the whole season and, and figure that end of it out as best you can. They're going to have some hope. Maybe they have a little room at the deadline with the situation with uh, Muzzin, if he's a, on an LTI guard, that, that an LTIR guy that doesn't come back during the regular season, you have a little more room to work with. Maybe they can make some additions. And then they got a tough challenge in the playoffs because, let's face it, they're not going to get an easy opponent probably in that first round. So no matter where they end up, so um, you know we'll see. The good news is they got some really high end players at the top of that group, and if they're going, they got a chance. We're speaking with E.J. Raddick, NHL Network, and host of NHL Now. Uh, yeah, Leaf fans are are maybe asking some goaltending questions, but E.J., they're not the only team, and there's some contending no. teams out there. Who blinks first when it comes to needing a goaltender? Well, that's a great question because, like, the, the, we're waiting on – I mean, we're waiting to see if Marc-Andre Fleury – who owns a lot of the cards, I guess, in Chicago as to what's going to happen with him. I mean, he's got that 10-team no-trade. I think he had an agreement with Stan Bowman that he would have a lot of say over things. I think Kyle Davidson is honoring that discussion that was had with uh, Stan. Um, so he's the biggest fish that I see on the market that's available. Maybe a Varlamov, if the Islanders try to, if they make a move there, that's another guy. But uh, I think, you know, Washington... I, I think they'd love to have an upgrade. I know Brian McClellan says, well, I'm not going to be that active at the deadline. I think he's a little, he's not happy with where his team is right now, but you know, they're still in a playoff spot. And I think that, uh, you know, that we're in the, 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 the back end of the Ovechkin era. I think if you're not trying to win now, I don't know when you're trying to win. So I think if they could convince Flory to come there or get Varlamov out of, you know, out of the island. But again, there's capital implications to those things and what has to go the other way. I mean, we've talked about Edmonton a lot and their need for goaltending help, although those guys have played a little bit better of late. Um, so, yeah, and then Toronto's situation. I get the sense Toronto is moving forward with those two guys. I don't know, outside of Flurry, and I guess Farlamov, I mean, who else is out there that's going to be better than the guys they have, although they have struggled? So, you know, it's, it's an interesting – the goalie market is always challenging and always interesting, but I think the key is Flurry because, you know, he's going to hold the cards as to whether he wants to go anywhere at all and if he does want to go somewhere, where that might be. EJ, just looking at, um, you know, potential – well, you know, we talk from a Leafs standpoint, the Atlantic division is going to be brutal to get through, but whoever comes out of it is going to have to pay a, play a pretty good team out of the Metro. Who do you like to come out of that side? Uh, Carolina, obviously, uh, in first right now, but Pittsburgh, the Rangers, the Capitals, there's some, some real opposition there. Yeah, I, like, I think I like Pittsburgh out of that group, but everything is dependent on Jari, right? I mean – they were better than the Islanders last year in that series. They were just flat out better, but but Jari was bad, and they had nowhere to go because the Smith was hurt, 
And so they had nowhere to fall back. I, I do wonder if Pittsburgh will go out and try to add a goaltender to give them that a little more depth. Because if Jari goes sideways in the playoffs or gets hurt, now all of a sudden, you know, they're in they're in, a, in kind of a jam. So, you know, I like their group a lot. Carolina, I, I don't trust. Uh, you know, I watched them play Florida a couple of weeks ago. I know they've been playing better since. It was a great spot for them. They were home. Florida hadn't played in 15 days. Carolina had had a little. They were 1-2-1 one, and one coming into that game. But a great spot to send a message. Anderson gives up, I thought, a bad goal in that game. They end up losing in overtime. I like a lot of the things about their team, but I'm going to have to see it from them. The Rangers, the, the Rangers have a lot of cap space to add players if they want the deadline, so they could be a player. And they've got something that a lot of the teams were just talking about it. They have the best goaltender in the league right now, really, him and Vasilevsky and Shesterkin. And if he's healthy and playing well, the Rangers could steal series. So I like Pittsburgh out of those teams, but the Rangers are kind of a wild card because they could be. They could add players to make them better. And they've got, you know, Shesterkin. When you watch him in, up close, guys, when you watch him in person, he he just looks different. He moves differently. He's got a, a grace and an elegance to the way he gets around the net. He always seems to be squared. And, uh, boy, he was, he's been impressive. So, you know, that's, that's my take on the Metro. And the Rangers do have a lot of prospects. They can put together a package and get oh, maybe yeah. a, a top six winger. Uh, Raquel's a name that I hear out of Anaheim that they've got their eye on. Mm. Uh, but uh, what did you make out of last night's 5-3 win uh, over the St. Louis Blues? Uh, another team that uh, we all think is going to be there contending. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good win for the Rangers because one thing about the Rangers this year, they have beaten all the teams they're supposed to beat. When we did a split yesterday on the show with non-playoff teams and playoff teams as it stood going into the game yesterday, the Rangers had two regulation losses during this season to teams that were non-playoff teams. So they are beating the daylights out of all the teams they're supposed to beat. Against the playoff teams, it was more around 500. And and they had just lost a one nothing tough one to Pittsburgh uh, on Saturday. Um, they had lost a couple of games in a row, lost to Vancouver. Georgiev didn't play very well. Demko played great for Vancouver. So I thought for the Rangers it was a really important spot. And uh, the fact they were able to rally in that game and win the third period, uh, Kreider coming up with another goal. So for, for me, I thought it was an important win for the Rangers, and there's going to be a lot of these little tests for them down the stretch. Their schedule a little bit harder, and they've got three more games with Pittsburgh, which I think will be really interesting to watch because, you know, that could end up being a matchup in that, in that Metro. You know, right now we were discussing uh, Hart Trophy talk in Toronto. It comes up all the time with Austin Matthews' tear. He's a guy that we see around here is at least in the conversation as one of the names. I know on uh, the internet machine today, Alan Walsh is mad at people for not talking about Jonathan Huberdo, which is pretty entertaining. Not sure if you saw that. Um, who do you I have? Yeah. <laughs> who, who do you have in the conversation? You still you got Matthews anywhere in the mix? Yeah, Matthews is definitely in the mix. He's played... He's played very, very well this year. I don't have to tell you guys about him. Uh, he's in the mix for me. I think I think Alan makes a great point. I think Jonathan Uberdo is right near the top of the list for me. Um, you know, he's a he's a client of Alan's, so I mean I right. he's gonna be right there to defend him and you know, uh the the gentleman from the athletic who did his chart there, I mean, uh I don't really know him. Um 
you know, I don't know why you wouldn't have Uberdo in that 10, but sometimes these things happen. I've been around this business a long time. I've written articles and sometimes it's an oversight as simple as that. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to, I can't speak for him, but uh, Uberdo Matthews, I think Shesterkin's got to be in the conversation now. And I'm not a big goalie guy for these things. I think you got to go above and beyond Dominic Hoshik like, I think when, you know, he won it those two years, I thought, that made a lot of sense to me. Uh, the Jose Theodore year was a weird year. Uh, the Kerry Price year, he was excellent. But, you know, people are surprised when I point out that Devin Dubnik's numbers were comparable to, 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 to Kerry Price that year. I mean, 9.33 save percentage, 9.29. Similar in shutouts, similar in goals against average. So, But, you know, those are old arguments. But I think Shesterkin, he was at 9.41 going into yesterday. probably came down a, maybe a, a tick after giving up three, but uh, I think he's in the conversation. I think there's a lot of good candidates this year. There's no real runaway guy for me, and I think, you know, Dreisaitl is, you know, if Edmonton gets in the playoffs, Dreisaitl and McDavid, see how they do down the stretch. There always seem to be candidates in these things, so I think there's there's a lot of good candidates right now, and we've got 30 games or thereabouts to go, and we'll figure it all out, but I guess the one question is about the goalie, and I think you know, Shesterkin has earned his way at least into the conversation for me. Big time name dropping here, and no one drops Kale McCarr. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. Um, is it just you know, defensemen it, don't? You know what, defensemen don't get that award. Well, do they, Nick? Be, it, because everybody thinks it's enough that he you get the Norris Trophy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but that's a good name. I mean, that's a great name. There's all there's so many good. I was having this conversation. Uh, with some guys last night about the defensemen. There's so many good young defensemen in the league, and he is unique in what he does. So, yeah, I think that's a great name. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's you think back to all those years that Nick Lidstrom played, and I don't know if he even got nominated for the Hart Trophy. I have to really double-check that. I think the last defenseman to win the Hart, was it was it Chris Pronger? Uh, I can't. <laughs> Sounds right. Uh, yeah. I can't remember I mean, what I had for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean, that we don't know. It tells you right there. Yeah. Is, for all of Nick and my uh, historical hockey knowledge, we usually take some time on recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Listen, I take a lot of time on recall, believe me. EJ, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. And it was Pronger in 99. Right. Correct. There you, there, there you go. There you go. Pronger. <laughs> all right. EJ Raddick, NHL Network. You know, he also made a very good point that over 30 games still for mm-hmm. some teams. I think the Leafs have 32 games to go, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right, And 30. it wasn't that long ago. Like, it, it can turn quick. Vesna talk for Jack Campbell, but that's disappeared. Morgan Riley, it was referred to as having a career year that this was the best we've ever seen Morgan Riley. How long ago was that conversation? In fairness, I would say Riley has been handed the or dealt the toughest cards of any Leaf this year. They're like he got Brody for a long run, but lately it's been like figure it out. It's just it's dropped. Yes, it has dropped. Right? Yes. The, the I'm just speaking of how quickly the level can change. Yeah. Well, and like right now the Leafs are 1 point behind Tampa or sorry, 1 point behind Florida and 2 points behind Tampa and within a game or two of both. Like they're in that mix. Blowing games like that last night matter, but you're right. It, you know, going a little run, it can change. It can change really quick and they have a powder soft run of games. You know, we saw last night it doesn't matter if you don't take care of business, but it can switch. The narrative can change. It can, and we'll find out more when we bring in Gord Stellick after the break. You're watching 
Real Kipper and Born on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and listening on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.